Welcome to the RSM Talk Big podcast, helping you invest well, understand money and achieve the best tax outcomes. Your hosts today are Andrew Sykes, Chris Oates and Young Han. Hey everybody, welcome to the RSM Talk Big podcast. I'm your host today, Andrew, and I'm joined here by Young. Hi, everyone. And Chris. Hello, everyone. Today, we've got a guest with us, David Elliott from Agile Digital. G'day, David. How are you? G'day, guys. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. And today, we're going to be having a bit of a fireside chat with David about crypto, cryptocurrency, everyone's favorite uh, topic at the moment. Uh, David, you're pretty OG in crypto. You've been trading crypto since? 2013. 2013. So I was late to the game, but now looking back, maybe I was a bit early. So late, what price was crypto when you first Gee, 150 bucks, made 150 Aussie when I was first picking What's up now? some crypto. What's now? now? Well, you've got to check it minute by minute, young as you know. <laughs> The last we checked, it was sitting about 60 a grand Aussie, but um, it could be 40 grand by tomorrow or 80, 80. to say. Hey, before we jump into crypto, uh, what's your background, David? Tell us a bit about yourself. So I started out as a software developer and rode the dot-com, rode the dot-com wave back in the late 90s. I was working over in London and Canada and came out of a startup in Canada, came back to Australia and thought, I've got to fix the way software is created in Australia. I really believe that we should be... <laughs> embracing technology and digital technology, particularly for our future. So I founded Agile Digital to fix the way software is developed in Australia. And our first big creation in Canberra was allhomes.com.au for Peter Blackshaw. The big version two rendition of that from 07 and 08, we put that together for Peter. Which is a very successful website, uh, web-based business. It did all right. Sold to Fairfax in uh, 2015, I think. Or about sixty million, the rumor a has decent it. Decent clip. Well, who's to say? Who's to say? But it did pretty well. And what got you into Bitcoin? I was doing some work for a startup where our business was back in 2013, and noticed that some of these sites that sell digital assets that were used to build uh, websites, etc., were taking payment in Bitcoin. Now, I've been reading about Bitcoin from a nerd perspective through 2011, 2012, and I thought this is getting a bit crazy now that people are taking payment on the internet in Bitcoin because before then it was more of a, well, I mean, WikiLeaks had reached out for Bitcoin payments in 2010, so it had been getting a little bit of buzz. But um, I just thought this is getting a bit mainstream, so I took a bit of a dabble back then, um, bought my crypto or Bitcoin from a friend who had acquired them from the Mount Gox exchange, which is famous for exploding in 2014 in a swirl of um, misappropriation of funds. So my coins weren't on the exchange, thankfully, and talk about where to keep your coins. But um, yeah, that's how I got stuck into Bitcoin back in the day. So Bitcoin is actually one of the cryptocurrencies. So what is it like? People always talk about it, but no one seems to know or be able to explain in a simple term. It's interesting, right? I think to understand cryptocurrencies, I mean, I've talked to a lot of folks over time about the nature of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and people, when they try to understand cryptocurrencies in a way they would understand using their Visa card or using their bank account, things get a bit confused. So I think it's worthwhile, anybody who wants to get their head around it, to zoom out a little bit not so much what is a cryptocurrency, but why is a currency at all? Now, 
we use currency in our daily lives to store value. Mm -hmm. So you can use certain things to store value, which could be a gold brick or an Aussie dollar. We use certain things as a medium of exchange so that I could buy a loaf of bread with some medium of exchange, which an Aussie dollar works very well for. And the third thing that makes a currency is the unit of account. So if I were to settle a bill with our friends at the tax office, they would ask me to settle that account in a currency called the Australian dollar. Mm -hmm. Now, when the cryptography nerds working through the 1990s and early 2010s were working on digital cash, they wanted to use cryptography and mathematics to create those same three things. They wanted to be able to create a digital way of having a store of value, a medium of exchange, and ultimately a unit of account. So you, the strange thing about Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency is that you don't hold it. It's a bit of data on the internet that's shared by a lot of people. So you don't put it in your pocket. Even if you see folks with a hardware wallet, they're not actually got Bitcoins on that USB key in their back pocket. They have the keys, the digital keys, or the digital password, you might think, to claim their coins on these big ledgers that are on the internet. So a Bitcoin is an entry in a ledger that's shared around the world on the internet. If the internet was to go away, there wouldn't be any Bitcoin. For me, that just make me think being an accountant so do I treat it as a, like a foreign currency or do I treat it like a shares? What's your view on that, Andrew? I reckon that's a really tough question. Um, it is interesting to understand what it is. So, so if, if I go to the bank and I have a ledger note at the bank that says I've got $100 in my account, I can go and get two $50 notes for it, a real physical representation. Mm. It, does the same thing exist for cryptocurrency? Yes, it does. The ledger exists. Well, the blockchain is a ledger, but the ledger isn't on any one person's computer or any one person's data center. The ledger is what they call distributed or decentralized. So you would have 100,000 people working on the same ledger. And the great innovation that allowed Bitcoin to come into being was that this personal persons called Satoshi Nakamoto figured out how to have 100,000 people editing the same ledger at the same time. And that allowed them to solve a problem which is called the double spend problem where if I was to transfer you on Bitcoin from my ledger to your ledger, well then how to make sure that I don't do the same thing with Young at the same time. They solved that problem with this large distributed ledger which is around the whole world right now so it's kind of everywhere and nowhere. But the ledger is not with one bank. The ledger is with the internet and the crowd, quote unquote. And it updates simultaneously all around the world. Yeah, like a big global clock every 10 minutes it settles. Well, yeah, it's looking at what it is and its value, but how do you get to it? It's, as Andrew said, it's easy to go to a bank and get some money out, but how do you actually access Bitcoin, whether you're trading it through an exchange, holding it to you? Wallets, you hear exchanges, wallets are pretty big in the news at the moment. So yeah. Right back at the start, where, where do you start with it all? So it starts with data. So the ledger, as a computer is concerned, is just data, like, a, like you'd saved a spreadsheet, except the said spreadsheet is saved on a whole bunch of computers at the same time and they all synchronize with each other. So how do you get access to that shared spreadsheet is the question. Um, well, you need the internet and a network. 
and a bit of software that speaks the protocol of Bitcoin. So you can just download that software and the people call that software a wallet, a Bitcoin wallet. Mm -hmm. So when you set your wallet up on your phone or your computer or your iPad, whatever, you have now got the protocol to participate in that globally shared spreadsheet or ledger. Now, the important part is because we said before, you don't actually hang on to the coins in your back pocket. All you have is a claim against that ledger, a digital claim. And that digital claim is asserted with your private keys, which you do not want to lose. When you hear stories of folks who are digging in landfill trying to find the uh, computer mum threw out of their bedroom because they were mining Bitcoin on it back in 2012, what they're looking for isn't the Bitcoin. They're looking for the private keys, which is a crypt, like a piece of data, a secret piece of data, which lets you claim, assert your ownership of those coins on the ledger. It's like a key to the safe box. It's a key to the safe box, and it's a key that you really don't want to lose. And that's what, when you, when you use an exchange for crypto, you've kind of said, listen, I don't really trust myself not to lose my keys because I lose things all the time. I will put my cryptocurrency in trust with an exchange. Now, sometimes that trust has been misfounded in the past. Yeah, yeah, we, we have seen that. But So the role of the exchange is to hang on to those keys for people, not the actual Bitcoin. Yeah, it's custodial ownership. Um, now, obviously, an exchange is also used as an exchange so that if you were to transit between different kinds of coins, you need a marketplace with bids and puts. So if I was to be exchanging from, say, Bitcoin tokens to Ethereum tokens, that's a whole lot easier if I was to use an exchange. So I would put my Bitcoin, I would say to the exchange, you hold a wallet for me. I will transfer some Bitcoin from my personal, my hardware wallet, which I buried in the backyard, onto the wallet that is on the exchange. And now I can participate in exchange transactions between cryptocurrencies. Yeah. So you keep on mentioning uh, hardware, exchanges, uh, transferring, et cetera. What's the difference? So a hardware wallet is what? An actual physical device? Yeah. So if you're private keys, and when even when you go to your, your internet banking and you see the little green tick on your web browser, there's cryptography taking place. And these private keys are long strings of random prime numbers that is used in cryptography to encrypt things. And that's a whole subject of its own right. But take it as read that you can have a piece of data, which is just a bunch of ones and zeros, which is your private key. And if you don't give that data to anybody else, no one else can claim your coins on that ledger. So where do you keep that data? Now, we've all used to saving our photos onto the iCloud or some such. When you're saving the data that is your private key to your personal wealth, where do you want to keep that data? You don't want to put it on a floppy disk like the old days because sometimes those things um, work. quit working, right? And then you have a bit of a heart flutter. Some people, as we said, will just say, well, we'll go to an exchange and they'll keep my keys for me and I'll trust them to be well behaved. But there's been an innovation some time ago called hardware wallets, which are very reliable and duplicatable. They look like USB keys, but what they really are is hardware devices, silicon, specifically made to hold onto private keys, your private data, in a very, very secure way. And you can take that private key and put it in a safe deposit box, give it to Arnie Joan. So is that 
akin. So a hardware wallet, what it makes me think of is uh, sticking $100 notes in a jar and burying it in the backyard. Is that the same kind of storing wealth in cash? It's in a way that's a fair analogy that it's not that the cash is in the wallet, but it's your rights to claim the cash. So I guess imagine that you had a Swiss bank account back in the days of James Bond, but the bank account was not identified. They didn't know that it was you, but you had a special key to access that bank account. Where do you put that key? That's kind of an analog representation of what your cryptocurrency keys are. But at the same time, it's different because the value can up and down significantly, not like cash in the bank account. Well, you could argue this interesting subject as to when Bitcoin moves against the Australian dollar, is it that the Australian dollar is going up or down or that Bitcoin is going up or down? So what's the reference point? But yeah, um, the, the wallet itself is used to store your rights to claim digital tokens, to assert your ownership. The tokens themselves, are, they can be quite simple or straightforward, pardon me, like Bitcoin, but they can also be quite complex. You can have things like Ethereum where the actual tokens are, are smart contracts and you get into the whole subject of people buying and selling digital artwork for astounding amounts of money. But the wallet itself is distinct from what the wallet is asserting your ownership of. When you're in the cryptocurrency game, you need a way to keep your private keys safe and recoverable. No one's ever cracked the Bitcoin protocol and stolen a Bitcoin off the ledger by transferring it. But plenty of Bitcoin have been stolen by people losing control of their private keys and other folks assert their rights to your coins. Yeah, so if somebody got the key, if I had some Bitcoin and somebody got my key, they they actually have those rights, don't they? Right. They would assert the rights to ownership. So the Bitcoins don't belong to you. They belong to the private key that you hold. So taking that hardware wallet and then going to an exchange, is that like taking my pile of cash from under the mattress and putting it in the bank? In a way, sure. Yeah, you've moved some of your coins into a, a custodial wallet and yeah. you've trusted somebody else to behave themselves. So how do you keep your Bitcoin safe? Oh, what's it going yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm a fan of the hard, because I saw the Mt. Gox exchange collapse so early in my time with crypto that I've kind of a, a bit more like, you know, grandma from the Great Depression. I keep my, my private keys in hardware Back wallets. <laughs> <laughs> so... And we talk about it, we've been talking a lot about it, comparing it to cash, but from a financial planning perspective, we look at it from an, as an investment asset. Mm. And that's always, I think, been a debate of, is it a currency or is it an invest, investment asset? What's your opinion? Well, because it doesn't yet serve as a unit of account, you can't pay your tax with it, therefore it still remains an asset. If the ATO at some point said, we will, you could pay your tax bill, you can settle your account in BTC or Bitcoin, well, then it would be a unit of account. And then I would say now it's a currency. But well, at this point, it's an asset. People are talking about in the future, you'll be able to buy a house with a Bitcoin. Well, in Salvador, you can, Young. I know. Um, the thing <laughs> is, the other point is that we're talking about security and everything, but preserving wealth and all that. But in at the point, we're not giving any investment advice. But if you were interested in going into the market and then be the 
you know, in, in, involved in the in cryptocurrency. What do you look for to decide which coins you want to buy? Yeah, and that's a big question. And of course, other than the professionals here from RSM who you can engage, um, we don't do investment advice. I think that if you're getting started, there are lower risk and higher risk ways to enter into the, to the cryptocurrency space. Now, everyone knows Bitcoin. It's the grandfather or grandmother of coins from 2009. And yep, it goes up and down a lot, but it's, it's really still the test of time. And we we're talking about a 12-year-old bit of technology. I mean, no one's kept their iPhone from 12 years ago, but the Bitcoin keeps marching on. So if you were to take a dabble, you could do worse than taking a dabble into something like Bitcoin or Ethereum, which are the older, more stable currencies. I would personally avoid what the kids on the internet call a FOMO, where you'll see some new um, dog-themed uh, coin pop into existence and shoot up by 10,000% in a week. Um, and that instinct to jump in there and buy yourself some dog coins can certainly bite. Yeah, you're right. It's it's not our place to give investment advice. And mm. anybody listening, don't take anything we're saying as investment <laughs> advice. But I think there could be a common sense approach, isn't there? Um, yeah, if you're going to use an exchange, how much how much information can you find on the exchanges? Well, the exchanges look like any uh, asset or commodities exchange. The bids and the bids and puts, the prices, price movements, volumes. Uh, I think that if you were to to take a really research-centric approach to it, you probably and you were completely clean to the space. You'd, we want to talk to an advisor about that. I mean, you talk at this point, you're talking about a diversification strategy, and for whatever reason, you've got some spare capital that you're thinking, "What should I do with this? Will I take a flutter on the ponies at the Melbourne Cup, or into a cryptocurrency, or am I looking to store some wealth?" And you know, Grandma said go buy some gold bullion from the Perth Mint. But I thought, you know, I've heard these guys talking about another way to store value, and I'd like to store some value in Bitcoin on my hardware wallet. Um, so your motivation for getting into it matters, of course. Um, if you were to go and research it, well, gee, that's a very deep rabbit hole. You might come out believing in QAnon after Andrew. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wearing a tinfoil hat after you've done your research, but I, I, I think there can be a common sense approach. I mean, if I if I had my cash, I'm not just going to find a stranger and say, "Here, take my cash," mm. because you'll you'll do it cheap. Mm. Uh, what I'd want to do is find out. Well, I'd want to give it to a trusted source. Yeah, I mean, like most things, reputation matters. Uh, they say that interesting enough, blockchain is a trustless protocol. And they call it trustless because to participate in a blockchain network, you don't need to trust anybody because the protocol is the umpire. But if I was to get into this space, I would find somebody that I trusted for that advice. Yeah, go and, go and talk to people with experience. Go and look for good and bad stories. Yeah, um, there's plenty of both. Look at reviews. So if you were to look into the future, Where's, where's it all heading? What, what does that look like, you think? Oh, that's a tough question, Andrew. I mean, I think that we're in an interesting place in society. And when you talk about currency and money, it's not just about your day-to-day life and how to buy you know, a loaf of bread or a litre of milk. It really speaks to the fabric of our society itself. And our society right now works from a central bank called the RBA in Australian dollars. If the way that people store their wealth exchange value and settle accounts changes. I think society itself might start to wobble a little bit. 
I mean, look at, they talk about the Gutenberg press, the printing press that was invented in the 15th century actually had a really big impact on society because all of a sudden, rather than the king or queen or the local church being the arbiters of truth, people could print and copy their own writing like tens of thousands of times. And that arguably led to centralized government where we have a bureau, a filing cabinet and a bureaucracy around that filing cabinet. I think that the this shift towards cryptocurrency will actually start to wobble the way society and banking works broadly. In the olden days, I used to talk about this term debanking, where well, WikiLeaks, for example, was debanked in 2010, where the bank said you're not to you're not to participate in the society's exchange of funds, and WikiLeaks famously put a call out for Bitcoin back then, which actually upset the inventor of Bitcoin. Um, Debanking you might see come to mean people who just stop using banks, retail banks, I mean, because well, I was down at the local shops with my boy a couple of weeks ago looking at a Telstra phone booth and I was explaining to him what this crazy artifact was all about. <laughs> wow, yep. And people just stopped using phone booths, right? I think it's possible that if crypto keeps going the way it's going, in 10 years from now, people might stop using retail banks. I mean, who's to know? But it's I suggest it's a big shift. It's a big shift. And coming. talking about that, CBA now have a special division for crypto. They were very early movers, young. Yes, yeah, I know. And and ATO is also utilizing their data matching system so that people thinking, oh, it's a blockchain, so they can't chase me. They can trace you. Oh, they can chase you, young. That's that's what I say. People say, oh, well, with the, with the internet and the cryptocurrencies, people won't be paying tax. The tax man was in play a long time before you yep. were putting your TFN on your e-banking account. I mean, when the sheriff of Nottingham was riding around Sherwood Forest looking for tax, he wasn't looking for TFNs. They'll always <laughs> find a way to collect the tax because that's how society It's treated exactly over. the same as the share, almost similar to the shares that you will pay tax on the, you know, when you exchange or sell. Well, that's the, the recent, thing. there's been a lot of motion in the last month actually on when, what is the tax law around exiting a Bitcoin position, pardon me, a cryptocurrency position. And they've said, they want to move to the when you actually realize value rather than when you trade in and out. When you realize mm. value like shares, that's when you'll go and pay your, well, arguably capital gains tax. So the tax man will always find a way. Yeah, that's right. I agree with that. And we need them to because we've got a society Absolutely. to operate. Absolutely, pays for the police and the roads. So it's 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 certainly, if we go back to you know, Silk Road and the Dread mm. Pirate Roberts, Bitcoin's <laughs> come a long way. It's no longer seen as a medium of uh, exchange on the dark web and for mm. transactions that can't be traced. Is, it, is that true? Has it become more of a store of uh, wealth rather than a way to hide? It certainly has gone very mainstream now. I mean, we're talking about it here in Canberra on a, on a sunny, uh, what are we, Tuesday morning. Um, it was affiliated with the untidy side of the internet early on, but guys, Realistically speaking, a lot of the technologies from the internet started from the untidy side of the internet. Broadband internet, like the video that streams over the internet, a lot of it had very seedy beginnings. Mm. That sadly is technologies, I think, start at the at the lizard brain, at the back of our heads and moves forward to the nicer parts of our brains. And Bitcoin's done the same thing. It started in the rough parts of the internet, but now it's really approaching Main Street. Excellent. Some great views there on crypto. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone, today. And thank you, David, for coming in. Young Chris, this has been the RSM Talk Big podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast at wherever you get your 
uh, podcast from on your favourite platform. Uh, my name's Andrew Sykes, and on behalf of RSM and the Talk Big crew, thank you very much for listening. Talk Big. Create, save and protect with RSM.